Welcome to Pebbles of Light. I'm your host, Anne Maxson. Have you ever felt a bit lost during the dark times of life's challenges? I know I have. I'm so grateful for those friends, loved ones, and even strangers that have provided me a pebble of light in the form of understanding and support. They've blessed my life, sometimes even more than they know. Seeing a little bright spot on the path has helped me to move forward when things are difficult. This show is here to celebrate those who add light to our lives. We'll share some of their stories as well as ways in which to light the paths of others. Please come find me on Instagram and Facebook at Pebbles of Light, as well as at ammaxon.com. I love having the opportunity to interact with you and hear about those who've added a pebble of light to your path. Enjoy the show. I am extremely grateful for the chance to share this interview with Myrna Peterson. I've known Myrna since I was about 11 years old. She was one of the adult leaders at a Bible camp that I attended in northern Minnesota. In June 1995, a few years after we met, Myrna was driving home after a long day. An oncoming vehicle came into her lane, she swerved, her car crashed, and she had an incomplete fracture at C3-C4. The other vehicle did not stop. She was found the next morning and life flighted to a hospital a couple of hours away in Duluth, Minnesota. At the time, she was 45 and a single mom to four teenagers. She was in the hospital and rehab facility until the end of February 1996. We'll talk a bit about the accident in the interview, but I'll also link to a TED Talk that she gave in the show notes. Since that time, she has done an incredible amount of advocacy work. She is currently involved in 16 volunteer organizations. She has started a nonprofit that has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to increase accessibility for those who are differently abled. We'll talk a bit about how she broke a Guinness World Record that was set by Superman himself, Christopher Reeve. As you feel of her goodness during this interview, please think of someone you could share her message with. Before we jump in, I want to share a quick review of the week. Mally's Nat says, love it. I love the name of the podcast. I was inspired by Anne's story and grateful she is willing to share her struggles. She is a light and has overcome so much. I love the topic of being a light and recognizing the angels in our lives. I'm excited for more episodes. Also, if you are still in search of some holiday games, check out the games gift guide at ammaxon.com or at the link in the show notes. Last week's Pebble was based on our interview with Tessa and Jameis Buck about finding our path. The Pebble was to be a first responder sometime this week. When you feel prompted to do something, whether for someone else or for yourself, just do it. I'd love to hear about your experiences with that Pebble. And now let's get into this interview with Myrna, who personally I consider to be more of a boulder of light than a Pebble. You'll see what I mean. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk with Myrna Peterson today. And Myrna, would you be able to give a little introduction of yourself and some background about you? Sure. Hi, Anne. Myrna Peterson. I grew up in southeast Iowa on the farm, number 10 of 11 children. Graduated from school there and then went on to Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, where I got my BA in elementary and physical education. Uh, started my teaching career in South Washington County, Minneapolis. Um, taught there for two years, got married, went up north to Brainerd, taught one year at Brainerd State Hospital, one year and two years there, and then went on to Black Duck, taught one year there, and then 19 years in Deer River, Minnesota. Um, after I was married, lived there um, until was in a serious car accident. I was 45 years old, had four teenagers at the time, and was in a car accident that broke my neck at C3-4 
incomplete, so it left me quadriplegic, physically differently abled from my shoulders down. 25 years later, here I am, living in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and still an active community member. So Very active community member. And I, that's one of the things I really want to talk about today. I've known Myrna since I was about 11 years old. So I guess that's about 30 years now. So I knew you for, I can't believe that it's been 25 years it's since that, been, that accident. You know, some days it feels like like a month and other times it feels like I've never been um, not differently abled. It depends on the day and, and what I am. Because I, I did just have my 32nd surgery in 25 years. So it has not been without some downfalls, but I've met wonderful people along the way. Uh, once I got past the first 17 years, the rest of it has been pretty good. Looking at the things that you've done with your life, you have done so much to give a voice to people who haven't had a voice, whether that was before the accident and you were working with different groups of people. And now after the accident, you have done so much work to increase accessibility for people who are differently abled. Can you talk a little bit about where where that started? Where did that desire to be a voice and advocate for others start? When I was in eighth grade, my the middle child in our family, my brother Leon, was um, uh, attending school at Luther College, and he was hit in the head with a baseball when he was when he was uh, uh, playing. It cracked the helmet, but it not, did not fracture his skull. And he went to the doctor there. They said it was all clear with the x-ray. So on the way home, they were going to pass through Rochester, St. Mary's. And they advised him to just stop there for another checkup. Well, he and the coach walked in the door, St. Mary's Hospital. He went into convulsions. And later that night, they removed 250 cc's of blood from his brain. Four days after that, they had to go in and do another surgery to get the, the pressure off of his skull. Well, he was at Rochester St. Mary's for nine months. My parents moved there. Two oldest boys were at home running the farm. And then there were four of us left in high school down to my little brother in fourth grade. So my mom and dad went moved to Rochester, got an apartment, and my mom came home only twice during that nine months. My dad came home once a month to check on the farm. Well, Leon um, progressed. He was in a, a thermal blanket for the first 12 days and couldn't even control his temperature. So there was like one in a thousand that he would live. Power of prayer and my parents' faithfulness, good medical staff there at St. Mary's, saw him through that, but he was either going to go to a long-term facility or my parents were allowed to bring him home if they pretty much turned our home into a, a care center, which they did. And my parents instilled in all of us a tremendous love of the Lord and a good work ethic. And it was all about family. And uh, my dad was a huge four-year letter winner baseball player in college. He created three different sized baseball diamonds and all the young boys in our area would come on Sundays to practice baseball. And Leon, my middle brother, was outstanding. He was being scouted, you know, by the White Sox, but my dad wanted him to finish college first. 
So baseball was instilled into our life too. Uh, the love of baseball and every all one of every one of us played baseball. I played softball all the way through college. But that was something that was ingrained in us. It was a family passion. So when Lan had this accident, instead of turning away from baseball, it just kind of drew us that, you know, once Leon got home, uh, they made sure that he was still going to all the baseball games that followed. And so um, the family just rallied around him. Just at the time when I had my accident, my mom had a paralyzing stroke on her right side. And those things really instilled in our family. The faith was so strong and the perseverance that all of us just kind of clung together even more. And my mom took over the role of don't ever stop. You know, we can get through this and encouraging. And when I had my accident, it was on the 21st of June. I uh, don't remember anything till the 4th of July. But I remember the nurse coming in and she said, well, it's Freedom Day. It's 4th of July. Let's get you out of bed. And I was looking out the window and I thought, what freedom is there? I just was in kind of denial, whatever. Well, I turned my head to the foot of my bed, and there on the wall was a crucifix. It was St. Mary's Hospital, a Catholic-owned hospital. And I saw that crucifix identified with Jesus Christ, the sacrifices that he made, thought of my brother. He lived 20 years until he died. Thought of all the perseverance that my parents did throughout to that point, and I thought, get yourself out of bed and don't look back. And from that day on and from the time that Leon was hurt, there was something instilled in me that even Leon had a right to have a good quality of life, no matter what. Another thing that sparked that was that on the day of my accident, uh, 16 hours later, my neighbor, Lee Isaacs, he and I had coached T-ball for uh, my twins and his third boy. Uh, we both at that time had four teenagers apiece. He lived less than a mile and a half from my house. He became paraplegic that afternoon from a motocross accident on the field that he had created a trail right where my vehicle ended up in the ditch. And I laid there for six hours during the night and found in the morning, his attitude about his accident and mine were completely different because he was angry because what had been taken from him. And uh, when he found out he would never walk again, he just he just had a different attitude against the whole world. Everything was um, against him. And the two of us, having been so close, was I couldn't understand his anger. I was certainly didn't like that I was had so much taken away from me. But I thought, wow, B, you're still alive. You're, you know, I don't understand that. Getting back to how did I get to the abilities, we're talking 20 years after our accident, he was still really angry at the world. And by that time, we were both tied for um, 25 surgeries apiece. So by 2015, we were at similar stages, kind of figuring out where we were supposed to be in the world. I had been on severe narcotics for the first 10 years and uh, had a hard time even admitting that I needed to be off of those. Finally went to a 
detox center and uh, spent three weeks there. Got rid of all of the narcotic medicine. It's the best thing that ever happened to me for my constant chronic nerve pain. But in 2015, I had decided that I wanted to get a vehicle that I could drive myself. And I don't, I'm very, very limited. But the technology now that I've been really involved with says that I can do it just with voice recognition and some other, you know, other adaptations. So uh, it's very expensive. So my kids wanted to do a fundraiser. Uh, I said, well, I'm not going to do it to get something for me without Lee. And so I said, I want Lee to get a four-wheel drive adaptable truck. And so we talked to, the girls talked to his family. So we decided to do this as far as a fundraiser, do a Guinness Book of World Record to give more people interest in coming to the event. Well, we found that Christopher and Dana Reeves' family had done 149 wheelchairs rolling consecutively for one minute. So you were, you were taking on Superman. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and so he said, well, we'll do 200 wheelchairs for two minutes. And everybody laughed. Well, then New Zealand did, or Australia, somebody, did 247 wheelchairs in two minutes. And I said, well, then we'll do 300 for three minutes. And everybody laughed. They said, you'll never get that many to come. Well, I went around to all the assisted livings and nursing homes, and I got the bus company to say, will you help haul people and use my van and a couple others to get people there? Well, the day of the uh, event, we brought 100 manual chairs there to help set the record. But 251 people showed up in their own wheelchair. So that meant 351 people rolled for three minutes to set the Guinness record. Well, afterwards, I had people saying, Myrna, thank you. So this is the most fun we've had. It was like, are you serious? Just, I mean, why? And so Lee and I, together with some other volunteers, held four public forums around the county to say, what are the barriers that keeps you from being out? Because we don't see you. We don't see anybody. I drive around town all the time in my wheelchair, but I was the only one. I never saw anybody. Well, number one priority was transportation. We can't get anywhere. You know, in our community here, we don't even have an accessible taxi. We have medical devices, medical vehicles that we can take. But if you wanted to take a medical uh, device for a social event, it would cost you $25.50 to get in the vehicle because you're in a wheelchair. And then $2.25 a mile, $15 an hour wait time until they pick you up again, and then another $25.50 to get back in the vehicle. Well, that's $81 if you stayed for two hours before you even paid mileage. And that's just because you're in a wheelchair. And then people that live in facilities, they only get to keep around $100 a month. So they've paid $81 for one trip, and they still haven't done anything. And then they don't get to do anything the rest of the month. So we decided, you know, transportation is huge. The next one was accessibility to get into and within a building. The third one is, is sidewalks, cutaways, trails, and uh, outdoor places. And the fourth one was just general awareness. Unless it's personal to you, people don't get it. 
they don't realize what it means to be inaccessible because they're not in a chair themselves or they're not in a walker or they're not legally blind. So there's so many challenges that were so aware uh, to us because of my family first and then my accident, my mom's stroke, and then being around that with that. Uh, so what happened after that event was uh, Lee and I started our own 501c3, a nonprofit called Mobility Mania, for the main purpose of attacking those four four priorities. Uh, we're still working on transportation, getting quite a ways, made some huge improvements, but long way to go yet. We've probably raised all oh, close to in our in our foundation over three hundred thousand dollars at least for that because we've helped three people get accessible vans now by having a fundraiser, but raised thirty two thousand dollars in one crack for two different people to get vans. We've been sponsoring the uh, indigenous playground where one of the little gals is in a wheelchair and we're able to get the playground poured in place surface and a we go round so both she and I can go in and go in the merry ground at the same time in our wheelchair. Uh, we've helped get uh, accessible swing in one of our local parks and are working now for Gun Park, a big baseball complex, to get that playground more accessible. Just a lot of awareness. We started a voucher program for people in wheelchairs that they can use once a month for free transportation to get to a social event and are in the midst of adding elderly to that one through a um, elder circle and life options to get social transportation to um, events. You know, in the evening high school, we have a transit, but it doesn't uh, doesn't operate where I live after four in the afternoon and hardly anything on the weekends. So they can't even get to events at the high school or the Rife Center or to church on the weekend. And all of those things became such a passion. I get around, like I said, my wheelchair all over town, but the other people aren't as able to do that or maybe have the desire to be out in all kinds of weather, but it's really been a priority and it's opened my eyes that it's not uh, do it because you have to. You need to instill the idea, do it because you want to, because it could be your mom, it could be your sister, it could be your wife, your grandmother, but until it becomes personal and you just don't, people don't understand the need for it. And it it's sad, but long story short, that's how I got my passion. It was to started with my brother. And um, when it was personal to me, and I can see it in my own kids now, how they, they became little ambassadors when they were teenagers. The twins were in going into seventh grade, Trisha into 10th, and Larson to 11th, sophomore, junior. No, ninth and 10th at the time of my accident. Man, there were times when I thought I was going to lose them because of I couldn't be with them at every event like I used to be. But boy, come Friday night, their friends would come home with them and many would stay till Sunday. Lars would go on to college. He'd come home, bring his buddies with. They'd all end up around the, the bonfire at night. They'd come in and they'd end up on the floor telling me all about what they talked about outside. <laughs> I know my... PCA would come in in the morning and 
she'd say, uh, Lars, you want to wake your buddies up and I'll make you all breakfast because I got to get your mom out of bed. <laughs> but for my kids and the, my girls too, and their friends would just come in and lay in bed with me, lay on the floor and just talk. So that acceptance, my grandkids, I have eight of them now. They all know me in a wheelchair. They don't know me any different. And I'm, you know, I think that's made them more aware and more appreciative of other people too. So where, so in those moments, kind of at the beginning where you were worried about that role of mother, that most important role, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking, okay, how will I do this? How did your faith sustain you in that? You know, the first five years when I was at home, I was in such severe pain because it was only five years after I was home that they realized that my original fusion had collapsed, which was causing that horrific pain. I'm convinced it was by the grace of God. I just said, God, I can't do this on my own. You've just got to help. You've got to watch my kid. I was divorced at the time. I think it was the whole village of, of Deer River, my teaching friends, my church friends, my neighborhood friends, my family from Iowa and around. It was like we had this protective grace bubble around our house that protected us. And I really do firmly believe that God was in control of that, just like he is still to this day. You know, did we do everything right? Of course not. You know, were there days when I wasn't as perky as others? Of course. Never in my mind did I ever once think that we weren't going to come out on the top somehow. I didn't know how sometimes. And it was devastating sometimes. But we made it. And yeah, we're still all here. The kids made it to college and they're happy in their homes. And, and that's a blessing to me. You know, I look at my life at who my kids are and they're wonderful, wonderful kids with grown adults and families. And yeah. I love that idea of the grace bubble. Actually, that's a, that's a really neat thought to think about. And then the other thought I'd had was, um, so we knew each other for those five years mm-hmm. before the accident. And I think maybe another part of why you didn't have to worry so much about your kids was all that you had given them prior to the accident. The faith, I think that's a big thing. The faith that you gave your children so that they could know that there was a divine purpose in all mm-hmm. that they were going through and that God was going to help them and support them. Mm-hmm. In fact, I um, I remember I was talking to Lars one time I I have it written down somewhere. It's on my list of like some of the best advice I've ever received. And he wrote to me and he said, um, if you're doing what is right, God is going to lead you on the way and God doesn't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just such, it had more power to it coming from him mm-hmm. and um, from your family, exactly. And thinking about all that you guys had been through and to say, wow, you know, Uh there, there is purpose in these things and the things that we face. You know, God doesn't make junk either. Um, I think what we're given to handle is it's our prerogative what to do with the gifts that he gave us. But he doesn't start out giving us junk. And it's our job to to do the best we can 
with whatever gifts that we have. And I think if we just learn to trust, I always tell my kids, keep God in your head and a song in your heart. Music has been big in our family too. And um, I think it's just is the, it's, it's the language of the globe. Um, everybody relates to it and you don't even need words. It's just that harmonious melody that keeps us on an even keel. And if we keep our focus that God is ahead of everything, um, we had, had a broken home. You know, I didn't want ever to be divorced when my kids were so young. God helped us do that. That was the only beginning, you know, and who was, I didn't know that, you know, less than five years later that, later than that, that I would be in a wheelchair and unable to physically be at everything that my kids were. That was important to me. But again, at some point, you have to give it to God. This is too big for me. I can't handle it. You know, you take the burden for a while. And he does. He does very graciously. And when I've read about all the things that you've done and and just knowing you, that you've really been able to be the Lord's hands to help others, like whether it's through the mobility or through technology in school or different things like that. I feel, have you felt that, that you've been inspired and directed, that you have kind of a calling to your use your skill sets in order to bless the lives of others? You know, I, I hear that all the time, Anne. And I tell everybody that I only have one thumb that works, but I have a mouth that won't quit. <laughs> and I mean that in all seriousness that, you know, it doesn't matter. You, Rome wasn't built in a day and by one person. All it takes is organization and believing in a passion. When the passion is so strong inside you that you can't help talking about it all the time. I've always gone by this motto of dreaming big. I'm from Iowa. Build it and they'll come. But dream big. But then always the very next step has got to be give it to God. When that comes back to you, make a solid plan and then get her done. I don't like to go to meetings, to go to meetings, to go to meetings. If it's not something that there's an activity I can do or accomplish, I'm out of there. But I very strongly believe in transparency of what it is we're going to do, who we're going to do it for, and the integrity of the process. And once those things are coming out, it's not a matter of I have to push myself for my ideas. It's you can come along with me if you want to, if you don't get out of my way, but very politely, not in an arrogant way. And I think being able to be confident in a wheelchair is different than just standing on my own two feet, because it's not easy for me to get to a place. It takes me an hour and a half of somebody else's time to get me ready, even to go out my bedroom door by the time they get my legs moved up from laying all night and you know, get me out of bed, getting me dressed, getting, doing everything for me. But in this, these years, I'm 71 now, and all of these years of networking with really good people who have similar interests. And it's not a matter of what you know, it's who you know, and who you put your faith in. Because if I don't get a clear direction from God that it's a good idea, I don't pursue it. But if it keeps coming back to me, I keep 
nighttime, I'm awake a lot. So he and I talk a lot at night. That's where my ideas goes. What do you think, God? What do you think about this? You know, who do you think it'll impact and why? And when I get more ideas coming back than I can generate, it's like, okay, now we got to make a plan. Now I got to find other people that think the similar. And I think being recognized and being like on the governor's council, Minnesota governor's council for connected and automated vehicles. Well, that's a real big futuristic thing. And anymore, it's not a dream. I was fascinated with the Jetsons when I was little. And that was the powered vehicles. And and I said, boy, wouldn't that be cool? And then when they had the teacher in space signed on to be, you know, I want to watch Krista McCullough and I want to do all those experiments that she's doing up there on there. And then I got to be on a Krista McCullough fellowship team to get three more people from my school, develop a project. And we were awarded two weeks at Stanford University and they made the movie Everyday Heroes off the project we were going to a nationally recognized. Well, that started with a dream and a passion that I followed. But that's what every good thing does. It starts with a dream, with a vision. Without God's guidance and help, I could never accomplish that because he's the one that gives me the courage and tells me if it's a good idea or not. But that led to a seat on the Governor's Council for Disability where I had my eyes opened even wider to respect the the abilities of people who can't see, who can't hear, or are mentally challenged, or are speech impediments. You know, my simply sitting in a wheelchair with an able mind and eyes that see, ears that hear, and a, a mouth that speaks, I'm so far above. And then I think of my brother who couldn't talk or walk. He could see, he could hear, but if there was a fly on him and somebody wasn't there, he couldn't even let us know. And I'm thinking, wow, I have nothing, you know, to complain about. So, you know, I have a huge passion to help people less fortunate. And, you know, sometimes, and the people that are the most less unfortunate are the ones that don't understand, the ones that don't see disability or the ones that don't see somebody's color of skin and appreciate. Six of my eight grandchildren are biracial, and and the mother bear comes out on me. And another God-sanctioned and God-driven passion for me on the indigenous people. Grew up, you know, teaching in Deer River for 19 years before my accident, and uh, learned to love the spirituality and the culture of my indigenous friends. Didn't understand them when I came in 76, but boy, now uh, some of my truest and greatest friends are my indigenous friends. Many of the elders that are no longer here would be so proud of their young kids that now we're working with for that accessible playground. It's all It all comes from God direction, um, I believe, in me anyway. I love how you have used being a voice for others to help you find your own personal voice and your own personal desire to make a difference in the world, to really make positive change for good in all the interactions that you have. Well, I've learned to listen. You know, I think that's so important. Everybody has a story, no matter what their race, color, creed, religion, 
Um, everybody has a voice that needs to be listened to because our heritage matters to all of us, whether it's a healthy one or not. But you still need to talk and define that and tell your story to be able to know who you are. And until you know who you are, you can't help anyone else. Yeah, I love that, that idea that you do need to share your own story. So the podcast is called Pebbles of Light. When you think back, are there people in your life that have been, who's somebody that has been a place to pebble of light for you and help direct you in, find, in finding the path? Well, I definitely would be my parents and grandparents. I was fortunate to have both sets of parents and grandparents who had their roots were in their faith. Scandinavian and German are the two backgrounds, but even the struggles those two countries had in their historical past were able to come together and the center was the church. And that's been a huge background for me. Growing up, living on the farm was no different than my older sibling living in town while dad was the superintendent. Sunday dinner, mom never knew how many to cook for because whoever was new in town or new in church or new in a school, we're at our place for dinner. Um, whoever needed <laughs> new clothes or food or anything was always, you know, hey, kids, what toys don't you use? Or which ones do you want to give to somebody else? Or or let's find some of your clothes that we can take. So growing up with that kind of, of um, parent type, but then also I, I think I became a pastor junkie or whatever you call those because Every pastor I've had at any church has become a friend of my family and a confidant of mine. It just seemed like they're the ones that I've latched onto. And I can name them off in college. I can name them off through my single life, my married life, and those now. And I still hear from them. And I still, when I was in in Duluth Hospital in um, 2012 with meningitis, I um, didn't know anybody, but my kids said, Mom, you had more pastors there because every all the nurses way. Was that the pastor you should? No, not that time. Not now. But, well, is that one? There's another pastor. Is she? How many churches does she belong to? I don't know. I relate to them because I get involved in all the church work that I did. So I think between my parents, my grandparents, family is, I would say family in that. But I'd be remiss in saying that. My colleagues, my teaching colleagues have been some key administrators as much as they've been. I've learned from their advocacy. I've learned from their non-advocacy. You know, some of those people are, are, I can pinpoint in my life which ones made me grow in spite of their direction. I'd hate to name names because there's been so many. But the one thing I respect is people that respect themselves and speak with integrity and truth. Um, those are my two, would be my two main things. The most important attributes to have. Thank you for being here. Where can people find out more about all the work that you do? Well, we our Mobility Mania site is um, has got things specifically to accessibility. That's just mobilitymania.org. The Council on Disability or the Council on Connected and automated vehicles, those are up to date. People are free to call me. My email or my personal phone, I love to connect with people all over. The more people hear a story, they realize that they have a story within them too. 
that yeah. needs to be told. And if and if you just allow people the opportunity to uh, to share, you know, or get them comfortable enough so that they will, they'll realize that no matter how small they think their life is, it's pretty impacting. Yeah. And until celebrate their own intrinsic value, you can't be fully aware of anybody else until you really are comfortable with who you are. If you'd like to get in touch with Myrna, her email is on the contact us page of the Mobility Mania website at mobilitymania.org slash contact. I'll have it in the show notes. I don't think it was a coincidence I happened to be reading the book, The Moment of Lift, How Empowering Women Changes the World by Melinda Gates at this interview. In it, Melinda says, we have to wake up to the ways we exclude. We have to open our arms and our hearts to the people we've pushed to the margins. It's not enough to help outsiders fight their way in. The real triumph will come when we no longer push anyone out. I feel like Myrna's experience in her championing those who may be on the outside is such a demonstration of that. I'll be sure to link to that book, as well as the websites for Myrna's nonprofit and her TED Talk in the show notes. And you can also find the gift guide there as well. The pebble for this week is to do your best to really see people and understand their story. This can be as simple as looking the store clerk in the eye while sincerely telling them thank you and to have a wonderful day. Or it could be taking time to talk to someone while in line at the store, or even reaching out to a social media acquaintance and learning more about their story. Brene Brown has said that, quote, people are hard to hate close up, end quote. Do your best to get to know someone and understand their perspective especially if their perspective is different from yours. I'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in today. More than what has been said, I hope that you've been able to listen to your thoughts and feelings. Maybe you've thought of someone who's brought light to your path. Let them know of your gratitude. Maybe you've been inspired as to how to add some light to your own path or the path of another. Do your best to act on those feelings and impressions. I would love to learn more about you and your experiences. Please come find me on Instagram and Facebook at Pebbles of Light. If you like what you hear, please review so we can spread this light further. You can find show notes and more resources at ammaxon.com. Until next time. <laughs>